Session 14, Life in the Christian Community Introduction Before 1784, Wesley strongly affirmed the following. God could have made the Methodists a separate people, but this would have been a direct contradiction to his whole design in raising them up, namely to spread scriptural religion throughout the land among people of every denomination, leaving everyone to hold his opinions and to follow his own mode of worship. This could only be done effectually by leaving these things as they were and endeavoring to leaven the whole nation with that faith that worketh by love. Sermon on God's Vineyard from Works 3, 511 Wesley on the Church of the Nazarene While Wesley certainly had a conception of the church that can be found in his sermons and treatises, his ecclesiology, or study of the church, shows most clearly in the need to work out the relationship between the Church of England and the Methodist societies. As with many of Wesley's theological tenets, his concerns were practical rather than theoretical. John Wesley was an Anglican at birth, and by his own admission, would be an Anglican until the day he died. Yet, in 1784, the American Methodists broke with the Church of England with John's approval. It was only after his death that the British Methodists would follow the Americans. What would bring John to such a radical decision, one that caused him and his brother Charles to be at odds for the rest of their lives? From the very beginning of the Methodist movement, John saw their identity as a renewal movement within Anglicanism. Wesley developed societies that acted in many ways like congregations. The societies met together for preaching meetings. They broke into smaller groups for accountability and spiritual formation. The societies fellowshiped together, served the world together, and served each other in very specific ways. Yet, Wesley did not see these societies as churches. Unity with the Church of England was extremely important to him, despite their veiled rejection of him and their decision to outright bar him from Anglican pulpits. Wesley wanted his Methodist people to see themselves as Anglicans. Whatever they might do during the week in Methodist meetings, he demanded all Methodists attend Anglican worship services on Sundays in order to receive the Eucharist, or Communion. When the Revolutionary War broke out in the American colonies, Anglican clergy returned to England. By this time, Methodist meeting houses crisscrossed the 13 colonies and beyond. Wesley was deeply concerned that these Methodists would be deprived of the sacraments in light of the absence of clergy, so he allowed the ordinations of preachers as Methodists. Methodism became its own denomination. Wesley was willing to sacrifice church unity in order to serve the practical need of his people to have access to the sacraments. Wesley on Pastoral Identity Even before the American split, Wesley was deliberate and diligent about training his lay preachers and society leaders. He wanted them to be as educated as possible, intentional about their preparation, but also recognizing the need for gifts and graces that only come from God. It is the church that confirms the inward call by examining outward fruits of ministerial labor. Let's consider a partial list of qualities outlined in Wesley's Address to Clergy, 1756. 1. Good understanding, sound judgment, and a capacity for reasoning. 2. Discernment. 3. Good memory. 4. A deep understanding about the nature of the pastoral call. Five a deep knowledge of the scriptures. 6. 
knowledge of the original biblical languages. 7. Knowledge of the sciences, philosophy, and logic. 8. Knowledge of the patristic writers. 9. Knowledge of personalities and character in people. 10. Common sense. 11. Courtesy and scholarship. 12. Single-mindedness. 13. Love for God and neighbor. 14. Desire for personal holiness. 15. Desire to cooperate with God's grace. Wesley on Spiritual Formation The internal functions of the Church can be placed under two main categories, spiritual formation and Christian education. These are intertwined in significant ways, but for our purposes here, we will define spiritual formation as progress in holiness and Christian education as the knowledge, doctrinal, theological, practical, that aids that progress. Such formation is at the very heart of Wesleyanism. Works of individual piety, means of grace, such as prayer and devotion. Scripture study, works of individual piety, means of grace, such as prayer and devotion. Scripture study, devotional reading, and practicing the presence of God, will lead to works of mercy. Also, means of grace, such as caring for the sick, feeding the hungry, and ministering to the needs of others in general. This is the breathing in and the breathing out of the spiritual life, so to speak. In a Wesleyan context, we also add the interdependence we have on our fellow Christians as integral to our own growth in holiness and love. To be formed spiritually is a communal as well as an individual process. To be formed spiritually is the process of sanctification that continues until we die. This was Wesley's goal, for his Methodist people to go on to perfect love, and then to go on from there living out the sanctifying love they had experienced. For Wesley, this is impossible without the Church. Wesley on Christian Education Also integral to Wesley's understanding of the Church is the Church's responsibility to teach its people very deliberately. Wesley's mother was dedicated to education. Wesley valued his own education very highly. Also, he demanded the education of his ministers. Wesley expected that education would take place within the societies and bands. Education was at the forefront of Methodism. In no sense is Wesleyanism against thinking, reasoning, understanding, and education to promote these. As Charles once wrote, unite the pair so long disjoined, knowledge and vital piety. A prayer. Knowledge and devotion are both crucial to the Christian life. Wesley wanted his people to know a wide range of topics from the Methodist interpretation of the Articles of Religion, to how to correctly interpret scripture, to the great devotional classics of the previous centuries, to latest understandings of holiness, discussed at the latest Methodist conference. Much of what Wesley published was for the educational benefit of his people. At the heart of Wesley's doctrine of the Church is mutual nurture. He mourns the absence of this in many parishes and admonishes Methodism to be different. Who watched over them in love? Who marked their growth in grace? Who prayed with them and for them as they had need? This and this alone is Christian fellowship. But, alas, where is it to be found? Look east or west, north or south. Name what parish you please. Is this Christian fellowship there? Rather, are not the bulk of the parishioners a mere rope of sand? What Christian connection is there between them? What bearing of one another's burdens? 
A plain account of the people called Methodists. Works 8, 251 and 252. Application 1. Write a reflection paper on the societies that Wesley developed. 2. Write a paragraph that describes what Wesley determined to be qualities of a lay pastor and or society leader. Which of these qualities would you consider appropriate for a lay pastor today? 3. What are the particular functions of the church that address the needs of Christians, what we might call the internal functions of the church? How and in what ways is your church meeting these needs?